Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Well, welcome back to The Grind, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think we're this is going to be like about episode 24, 25, somewhere in there. And, and uh, so we're kind of getting on up there in double-digit episodes, which is amazing that anybody even still listens at this yeah, point. Yeah, And so I, I'm Dave McClung. With me is, uh, I'm bringing it back, folks, the illustrious Chad Grigsby. Uh, Dave, I am your Rocky to your Booinkle. <laughs> <laughs> Booinkle, Booinkle, Bullwinkle, Bullwinkle. There you go. There's my pop culture reference gone wrong. Rocky to my oh. bull, Booinkle. Oh my goodness! You will forever and it's worth be known as Booinkle to me. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was horrible. You've got to keep that. You have to keep that in there. Yeah, no one asked you, George. Yes, no one asked you. Yes, we do. Oh. Yes, we do. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Well, uh, I, does, does that make George, <laughs> should I call him Natisha instead of Natasha, Natasha or Boris instead of Boris? Oh, man, I just had a, I just had a brain fart. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Bullwinkle, boo-winkle. Oh my goodness! That's, oh, that's good. That's that's almost as good as when you called us the Upwards Basketball Podcast. <laughs> almost so, as good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, all good. right. Well, uh, um, so yeah, that's a, a great start to this podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, anything exciting going on in your world? Uh, to I've take been... it off the boo-winkle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been batching it. Uh, Ezra's been at soccer camp. Jessica's been with her parents. Yeah. Uh, I've been at the house uh, just, you know, hanging out, been busy. Yeah. I wish I'd had a little bit of downtime, but just been going and blowing. Yep. So, But it's been good. Well, by the time this airs, uh, we will probably be about a month removed from taking my daughter to Arkansas State University Ooh. to register for classes. Condolences. So, yeah, so wow. it's been a uh, an exciting and traumatic time all rolled into one, mm-hmm. you know, thinking of my oldest headed to college. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's been my world here lately and uh, uh, crazy, crazy stuff. So... Well, we are excited today to have uh, one, as Chad refers to him, Georg Royce. Yes. On the line <laughs> That's with the us. the German pronunciation. For yes. those of you that don't speak uh, Chadanese, uh, George Ross, uh, Sin City Missionary for New Orleans, Louisiana, is on the line. What's up, George? Hey, guys. Great to be with you. Calling us from a trucker lounge uh, <laughs> on his way to Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, if Kevin Ezell knew you were in a trucker lounge, would you lose your job? I'm just asking for, just curious. Oh, because we do have some damn folks that listen to this podcast. So. Yeah, are there are there um, what are the little casinos? Are there slot machines in the trucker lounge? No, not there's no slot machines in this one that I can see. Because if you gambled in a trucker's lounge, I'm pretty sure you would get. Yeah. yeah. So step away. There is from a the billy club machine. hanging across the aisle from me here. A billy club? 
A billy club, yeah. Oh, wow. I guess that's for truckers to uh, beat people with. I have no idea. <laughs> well, you never know when a fight's going to break out in a trucker lounge. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, oh, and, and it turns into Beyond Thunderdome, you know, whatever that's you That's right. So, so you're uh, traveling with how many people to Phoenix? Uh, I have my whole family, so that's eight of us. Six there kids and my wife. Wow. Let's just have a moment of silence yes. uh, for George. Pray He's for traveling, traveling yes. sanity. Traveling mercies, maybe a hedge mercies, of protection. Hedge of protection. Yeah. No concrete wall with some razor wire, but just a hedge. Hedge of protection. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to over trim we the We don't hedge want of all the kids protected. You know, we may lose a few on the way. I have to say this. My introduction to Tim Hawkins was the whole hedge of protection thing. Yes. And so I'm at North Park in Van Buren, where uh-huh. Chad and I are kind of tag teaming the interim right now. And the pastor at the time, Shannon Cottle, we had just heard this. I kid you not, the next Sunday morning, we're in worship. He's praying over the congregation, and he prays a hedge of protection over the congregation. Yes. And you could hear these bursts of laughter yeah. all over the congregation. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, we just made fun of that all night. And and he knew it when he did it. Yeah. He yeah. caught himself, and he yeah. couldn't get it back. <laughs> and so when he got done praying, he said, Dad gum, you Dave McClung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it was uh, awesome. And, uh, so we never let him live that down because he used that phrase all the time. Yeah, and uh, so funny. So funny. <laughs> all right, well, we're gonna we're gonna proceed on and let uh, George get out of the trucker lounge <laughs> on their way to their first stop in San Antonio. Man, thanks so much for joining us and hanging out with us as you travel. And uh, that's that's awesome. Honor to do so. All right, so let's kind of dive in. Uh, kind of talk about your ministry journey uh, and leading up to and including uh, you becoming a uh, Send City Missionary. Send City Missionary. Folks have told me I have not enunciated well on that. And uh, uh, Send City Missionary in Nolens. Sure thing. I started out in ministry in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Uh, I served as actually a college intern for a short period of time. And then I was a student pastor at Longview Heights Baptist Church. They had a, a desire to be a church planning church. They planted their first church. And as they planted their first church, they just began to uh, do it over and over again. And I eventually was sent out as a church planner from Longview Heights and planted Longview Point Baptist Church. Uh, excuse me. They planted Longview Point Baptist Church. And along with Longview Point and Longview Heights, they planted Life Point Church, which was in Senatobia, Mississippi. I pastored there for nine years, uh, was able to start a church planning network with some other brothers, and uh, through that got connected to NAM. And uh, long story short, NAM called me to be the SEND missionary to New Orleans in 2013. Wow. So you've been down there that long. I didn't realize you'd been there since 2013. Yeah, going on four years. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. All yeah. right. Um, yeah, talk a little bit more about uh, what you guys were doing in Mississippi because you guys, you know, started as a vision of Longview Heights to plant churches, and they kind of planted down uh, there. They're in Olive Branch, so they planted just down the road in Hernando, and then just down the road from Hernando in Cenotopia. Uh But that kind of morphed into little bit of a church planting movement in North Mississippi through the one eight network. So talk about how all that came about and what the Lord did through the network, yeah. George. Yeah. At that time, I believe it was uh, right at 2000. There really was nothing going on in church planting. At least it wasn't the discussion that it is today. Very few people were doing it. Very few churches were doing it. 
And Longview Heights got into the situation where uh, they were trying to send out people because they were out of space. (laughs) So uh, they had a group of people from Hernando, Mississippi, which was uh, about 12, 15 miles from Olive Branch. And that group of people began to meet in a Sunday school class. Uh, Longview Heights called a pastor, Wade Humphreys. And uh, they met and they sent Wade out to plant their first church, which was in Hernando. And after that, the, the momentum, God just blessed. So all the people they sent out from Longview Heights to go plant this new church, God replaced them like two and threefold. So it never wow. stopped the church from growing. They actually grew more. So they oh, wow. uh, were able to send people out. And uh, the pastor just caught a vision for Pastor Wayne Marshall. And as they started doing that, I stayed there for a few more years until 2004 and um, actually went and served at Longview Point for a short amount of time. And both of those churches partnered together to plant Longview. uh, They planted Longview Point and then they planted Life Point together. And through that, just uh, church multiplication happened in so many ways. They planted churches uh, internationally. They planted churches nationally. I know right now they're partnering with Sin Cities in Indianapolis. Uh, They're partnering with New Orleans. Uh, Wade and them have a residency at Longview Point. So those churches really did start getting other people to think about church planting. And the network birthed out of that. As Wade and I sat down, we began to think about uh, like-minded churches. So all three churches were like-minded, and then there were other like-minded churches in our state that wanted to be a part of that as well. And uh, that really was a catalyst to put 1-8 together. And uh, that was where the network started and the network birthed. And we began to participate in church planning and really began to partner with our state convention, the Mississippi Baptist Convention and church planning at that point. Yeah, about, about how many churches uh, came out of the 1A network? Oh, let me get my mind wrapped around that. Uh, at the time I left, I think we'd had 10 churches come out of that. And that was Mississippi. Let's say Mississippi proper. Uh, but churches that we were partnering with were planting churches in other places outside of Mississippi. Wow. So just in Mississippi at that time. Uh, which was a short two-year span. We had yeah. ten churches come out of that. Wow! Awesome. Wow! That's great. Yeah. And I, and I love the, you know the, you know they sent people out and the church kept growing. Uh, imagine that. Yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, and we, I know you hear the the number ten and that doesn't sound like a lot back during that time. You know there was such an animosity towards yeah. church planting. Oh. It was not cool. People didn't like it. I could remember repping our network at, at associational events or at the convention events. And literally would have pastors chew me out <laughs> for yep. planting more churches. So it was not uh, the cool thing that uh, we see it today. It's as yeah. prominent as it is today. Yeah, you church planting a whole different world cool. then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So okay, so involved in all that, you know, all the things you've learned from that. Talk about what would be, you know, five kind of most important things that you learned. Uh, or, or that you need to be a part of a church planning network or movement? What, what are some of those things that, you know, you'd say, okay, here's some essentials? Sure. Now, some of these things that we we do great now in church planning networks, but back during that time, assessments, there really wasn't a, a benchmark for assessments. Hmm. Uh, if, if you had a, a good feeling in your gut, then, hey, we're going to send you out. <laughs> yeah. Assessments, uh, we grew in that. We began to do assessments in the network, and that was just so beneficial. It was beneficial for the planter uh, because at the end of the day, you, you don't want a planter to bring harm to himself or his family. Yeah. And uh, there's some real things that are true that a planter might not have or a person might not have the skill of being a good planter. So assessments were, were number one. That was a, a huge part of the network that was very beneficial for us coaching. Um, at that time, coaching was not a very talked about topic. Uh, there, were, there weren't any coaching networks at that time that I was aware of. 
And, uh, you know, the idea of coaching was you were a football coach, baseball coach, or basketball coach. So coaching and really doing leadership development, what does it mean to be coached? Uh, What does it mean to look at who you are and and find out who you are and how that affects your leadership and uh, how that affects uh, your developmental process? So coaching was the second part that was very good. Best practices, you know, it was always good to get together in the network setting and talk about best practices, what works well for you, what doesn't work well for you. Uh, the third one was brotherhood and sisterhood, just being able to get together. At that time, uh, we had some other church planters in the state of Mississippi, and we would get together on a yearly basis, sometimes through planter events uh, where their wives were included, sometimes just where the guys were included, and to see the need for brotherhood and to see the need for sisterhood where planter spouses could come together and talk about the uh, ministry they were in because they were dealing with so many of the same things. Uh, that would be the fourth thing, just the developing through the network, brotherhood and sisterhood. And the last one, uh, networking for resources. The network allowed us to have connections with churches that were able to resource church planting. So through the course of the network that we had, we were really able to connect with churches that had a missional mindset. They wanted to do that. A great example was First Baptist Oxford. Uh, that particular church uh, had never planted a church before. But they wanted to connect with the 1-8 Network. They had uh, incredible resources, and uh, we walked them through what it meant to plant a church, what it meant to assess a planter, uh, what it meant to send someone out. And uh, they were able to take those resources and, and, and plant a church. So the network allowed us to connect churches all across the state that really did have that DNA, and they may not have even known it. Hey, we want to be missional. We want to see reproduction. We want to see multiplication happen. And we want to advance that cause with our resources. So the network allowed us to do that well. Yeah, man, we just we just finished uh, doing a church planner retreat. Uh, well, by the time this airs, it'll be about a month. Uh, but I tell you, we saw that brotherhood sisterhood thing mm-hmm. come alive and well uh, over that weekend, and how how needed that was. We heard it over and over and over from couples that whole weekend. Uh, wives, you know, being able to talk with other church planters' wives, being able to bring their kids and let them meet mm-hmm. other church planters' kids, and just the fellowship, the whole brotherhood sisterhood thing you're talking about. That was, man, yeah, that's spot on. We just saw that yeah. in evidence this last weekend for sure. Uh, transitioning a little bit to New Orleans, tell us about what's unique about New Orleans in regard to church planting. What are the unique challenges? What are the unique opportunities? And maybe tell us just a little bit of a story about a church plant you're working with uh, there. Sure. Uh, opportunities are just the incredible amount of lostness. So we're dealing with a city that statistically has a population of about 12% that say they're evangelical. And that is a, a huge uh, percentage of lostness in our city. So the opportunity is great there in the city, but the barriers are also very great. It's a generational Catholic city. So when I I use that phrase, I'm talking about Catholic families that have been there for a long, long time. There are just some deep-rooted Catholics in the city. They're very, very hard to reach. Uh, You also have a a group of people that are into New Age spirituality, which means literally anything can go and worship. Um, So with those uh, as barriers, uh, the context of the city is is a barrier as well. There's right at 200,000 people that would be classified as living in poverty. And, uh, you know, when you think about that in a population of over uh, just barely over a million, that's a lot of people. It's got one of the highest Mm. poverty rates for children in the country. 
So those things just make it difficult to see a self-sustaining uh, work, self-propagating work happen in a city. Um, you got to have somebody that's really called there to do that because uh, those barriers mean you're going to have some slow growth. Uh, you're going to have to constantly be networking and um, you're really going to have to uh, recognize it's, it's a long haul of ministry as you build relationships in the city with people. So uh, we got great opportunity and uh, there's certainly some some barriers that you're battling in New Orleans. One of the things that's working right now, we have a church planner named Ryan Rice. He's actually preaching at the pastor's conference in Phoenix. Oh, cool. Ryan is from Algiers, a community in New Orleans. Uh, Ryan served on a church in Baton Rouge. He was born and raised in Algiers. And he came back to the city and planted a church and uh, planted a church in his neighborhood. The Lord has just used him greatly, blessed his work. He's been able to reach people in his neighborhood. But they had a dying Southern Baptist church in his neighborhood, too. A Southern Baptist church that had been there for for many, many years. Historically, it was a, a large church. They had uh, dwindled down to 40, 50 people and uh, had incredible uh, facilities and, and land resources in a community that was just uh, incredibly unreached. Uh, this church began to pray about it. They actually began to reach out to Ryan, and we began to have conversations with them. And uh, through a series of conversations, lots of prayer, this church voted unanimously. Uh, to to die, and you don't find that very often. Yeah. And uh, they voted unanimously to die to be replanted. Wow. And uh, they actually came up under ascending church that we have for Ryan, and uh, we're doing a replant there. So a church planter that was seeing his greatest struggle was space, and uh, God met his greatest struggle with this church uh, having the willingness to see that they were not going to have a legacy if they didn't die. And now they're going to have a legacy as a new church. And, and all the people stayed. So I think the 45 remaining folks that were there are just loving what's happening. They had over 100 people a few weeks ago in the life of the church. They've been baptizing people every week. No one had been in the baptismal in over a year and a half. And they uh, baptized four or five people in the last few weeks. So wow. uh, it's a great story. We, we have several of those situations in the city where there are churches that have dwindled down to a very small congregation that really do need to consider replanting. In fact, we have four replants going on in the city right now. Uh, four churches have seen the, the need to do that, and uh, they have come up under ascending church. They've disbanded, and uh, not necessarily that the people haven't left, but they've disbanded as leadership, and uh, uh, they've agreed to come under a new vision uh, in the life of the church. So we've seen some success in that. Uh, that's a, another one of the great opportunities that we have in the city right now is what the Lord has done through our replanting efforts. So did, so did those churches that are closing, did they initiate the conversation with you to replant or is that a conversation you had? Here's an option, you know, for you guys as you're, as you're closing down, how, how did some of those come about? All of them were either initiated with me or with another local pastor. Um, a couple of the two of the four conversations were initiated and it took over a year for them to come to the point place yeah. of doing that. And then two of the other conversations happened fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz we're having more and more of those conversations right now as well. And and it's, you know, those are hard conversations. Uh because they are. you know, in one sense, you know, you know, life cycle of this particular church is coming to an end. There's all kinds of grief that goes with that, all kinds of uh you know, um looking at that thinking, okay, did we fail, you know, uh, all those kind of emotions going along with that. And then just the letting go of control, 
to, to be able to start something new. And it's just been fascinating watching churches go through those range of emotions and then come out on the other side. And we've got two or three right now that have replanted where the members stayed. And, and it's, it's been incredible. Uh, everything they were praying for and hoping for has happened, even though it didn't happen necessarily the way they thought it was going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but, uh, those are fascinating conversations. Um, they are. And what I have seen and, and kind of put this little phrase out there, uh, every reef plant we've worked with that have come to the point in place where they're willing to die lives again. And there's something gospel centered about that. There's something so very biblical about that. Uh, but when they are willing to die, die to themselves, die to their history, uh, uh, die to all those things, and, and really look to the head of the church, Jesus, they live again. And uh, we have just praised the Lord for that. So and that takes some leadership and the people that are remaining to do that. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Well, you're personally involved uh, in a replant now. And I'm just curious to know kind of what your role is in that. And uh, I know you've been kind of a local church pastor, planter for, you know, two decades or more. And then you Mm -hmm. come into a role like you are in New Orleans, where you're more facilitating church planting. So talk a little bit about that, just being involved in local church ministry again, be involved in replanting, but also doing your uh, missionary, Sin City missionary role. How do you balance that? Uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure. You know, I'm just such an advocate of the local church. Uh, the local church is uh, the vehicle for multiplication. Uh, so you, you want to be in a local church. And my first part of Send a Missionary, I was doing a lot of traveling and networking. And I had a home church in New Orleans, a great church, Ed- Edgewater Baptist Church. But I was always just struggling not being in some type of uh, leadership capacity in a local church, just knowing that some of my calling was to do that. Uh, so the replant came about uh, through a, a sister church in the city, uh, Lakeshore, Pontchartrain Baptist Church, which closed its doors, deeded over their property and their building to Canal Street Church. And uh, they actually called me as a replant pastor there. And I've been there since July, but I'm co-pastoring it uh, because of my NAM duties are, are my first priority as Thin City Missionary. I'm actually co-pastoring with a, a young church planter named Bo Smith. And uh, he is a NAM church planner. He moved to New Orleans because his wife was in dental school, and he really wants to be a part of something in the city. And he's a teacher. Uh, so one of the neat things we have going on, we don't have any full-time staff at the church. Uh, he's a full-time teacher in Kenner, and I'm a full-time NAM missionary. So we're sharing the pastoral duties, and it's just worked out incredible. Uh, the church has loved it. Uh, we didn't lose any members of the original members. The church had dwindled down to 20 people. Yeah. And all 20 people remain, and we're running right at 80 on Sunday mornings right now. We're going to go to two services. We have a very small, small building, but we'll go to two services in August. So uh, it's been a, a great thing to balance because I've had some great help. We offer a residency, too, and because we're in New Orleans, uh, we've had a lot of seminary students participate in our residency. So they've got some great hands-on experience uh, in ministry and in the local church and in a replant there. Uh, through the residency program. So those are all things that have been uh, just a great blessing, allowed us to do that, and allowed me to be back in a local church uh, serving, which is uh, something that I, I really love doing. Yeah. What uh, Here in Arkansas, we, we've done some research over the last 10 years, and this number is going up uh, every year. We're averaging about 16 churches a year closing in uh, in the ABSC. Uh, this last year we had 20, 24, 
24 or 26, I can't remember which one, close. Um, and, and within the last five years, I've had as high as uh, 32 churches close one year. What are you guys running mm. in Louisiana averaging? I don't know what Louisiana is. I go by John Mark Clifton. I, I know you guys know him. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. The replant guy. Yeah. Uh, doesn't he use 900 churches a year closing in Southern Baptist life? Yeah. Uh, Hmm. I know it's a lot. I don't know that uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of churches. There's a, a lot of churches hanging on in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, and and there hmm. seems to be that also in the state of Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have the exact number. I don't want to quote it. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it's it's growing. Um, you know, as our culture changes, as communities change, as you know, churches change and transition. Uh, you know, to be able to come back and breathe life back into some of those places is, uh, man, I just think that just really honors God and, and is a great steward of resources as well that, mm. you know, are already there uh, to repurpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. George, I want to ask you uh, just as a little bit of a follow-up to with your, your role with NAM, but also being a part of the church, there, there is something appealing about uh, doing kind of a church planting Sin City missionary role and pastoring because I think there's something about the local church that you just can't you can't facilitate in a parachurch setting. Yeah. Do, do you see what I'm getting at? Do you feel that tension at all? Or Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I do feel that tension and I also think there's something to be said about being a practitioner. Yeah. You know, you can only right. live off of that position of telling them how you've done it because you did it in the past for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I want to be involved in something fresh, something that's going on. So for me, it's it's been a help, you know, because a lot of people, I get the question, hey, how do you do both? Uh, and uh, as we think through, I, and I think we need to think through in a larger way denominationally, how do we do some bivocational how do we do some co-pastoring church plant models where you have some high capacity leaders that may be a teacher, that may be a businessman, that may be this or that, that are, that are called to ministry that can plant a church and allow them to run with it and do it. Uh, so, again, there's a lot of conversation there to be had right. with uh, what that looks like. But, yes, uh, me being in a, in a church plant keeps me sharp, keeps me fresh, keeps me focused, and I think it helps me be a better sin missionary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, and planting with a team is what yeah. you're, you know, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at is if you did have guys in the leadership of your church plant who maybe were in the business world or teachers, but they all did different roles and mm-hmm. helped each other, yep. you could mm-hmm. see how that would really, that, that could get some traction. So, Well, I kid with you all the time, but I could write a book on what not to do in church planting. <laughs> and, and this experience has been great for me because, yeah. you know, you learn so much. Uh, going through the trenches in church planting. And, and this has been just a wonderful experience for me and, and who I'm working with and what I'm doing. And just to be a better leader. I mean, there are so many things I did as a church planner when I first started that were just, you know, horrible leadership on my part. And, and, and you learn, you grow through those journeys. So, uh, yeah, this has been a great time. Well, it really does become a laboratory. Uh, for, yep. You know, we helped plant uh, City Church in Little Rock. Uh, gosh, started back in 2008. And, uh, and it had some transition leadership, and so it closed down uh, three years ago, I guess now. And, uh, but uh, I, mean, that, I mean, that whole experience was so incredible to be having while I'm coaching other church planters. 
so so whenever they would you know ask about something i could say oh no don't do that and here's why <laughs> uh yes. and and have that personal experience right in the moment um and and so it was just you know, I, i'm right there with you on writing the book of what not to do yes uh you know i, I tell you i go back to uh uh uh, Jim Griffith and Bill Eason's, you know, 10 most common mistakes new church starts make book quite a bit <laughs> because I think they hit the nail on the head on a lot of those. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we experienced a lot of those at City Church. And, and, and there's just no uh, no way to shortcut those experiences mm-hmm. and uh, and be able to talk truthfully and authentically about, you know, what you're trying to coach guys to do. So yeah. that's great. So. Okay, so let's kind of come back to New Orleans as a whole again. Uh, we just had a conversation with Matt Hess about Toronto and, you know, city of almost 7 million people and, you know, what they're doing up there. There's some incredible stuff in Toronto. And New Orleans is a large city as well, not quite that large, but really as a large city has a very different kind of climate, in, in my experience in being in New Orleans for a little while, um, than a lot of our other large city because it's it's a very much a post Christian city, but there is a spiritual climate there. You know, you talked about the the generational you know uh, Catholic nature of the city, but as well as you know the French Quarter and the whole you know voodoo culture, <laughs> you know, new mm-hmm. age culture, all that stuff. You know, talk about how you guys are you know, planting the gospel and making disciples in that culture. What's really worked well? What's not worked so well? You know, what are you learning in, in that environment? Does that make sense? Yeah, New Orleans is, yeah, absolutely. New Orleans has been a destination for week-long mission trips. And I want to be very careful how I communicate this. Those have been good in many ways, but they've also been horrible in many ways. Um, yeah. So so one of the things that, that we've had to do in New Orleans is to really think through engaging the community and not block, not not just block parties. We're not saying don't do those. Those are some great ministry opportunities. But engaging the community with the needs of the community. Right. So so right now we've got some planters that are just doing some incredible things as they have really exegeted the neighborhood they're in. There's 73 neighborhoods in New Orleans, uh-huh. and uh, each one of them have a distinct flair. Uh-huh. So we're really trying to see a church planting movement uh, be birthed and go outside of those neighborhoods through that neighborhood idea. So we got a church plant that just finished installing a playground for a community, a community needed one. Uh, and the church plants are very involved in that. So they have one of their partners to pay for it. And I'm not talking about, you know, your, uh, Walmart version of a playground that they right. threw up. It was a nice playground yeah. and, and really engage that need that community have. Uh, we have some plants that are really engaging the schools yeah. and, uh, you know, all types of ministry and service help to the schools. Uh, job training. We've got some church plants doing a tremendous job in job training. One of our church plants, we have a high rate of incarceration in Louisiana in general and New Orleans in particular. So we have a church plant that have they have a grass cutting business. And their grass cutting business is to hire people that have gotten out of prison. Oh, and wow. part of them getting out of prison is uh, they're giving them some job skills. Uh, they're discipling them. They're helping them get back on their feet. So community initiatives where you're really addressing what's going on in the community, not just through an event or a program, but, yeah. but a real, real need that they have. We got some guys that are knocking out of park. Now, that's hard. I mean, that's messy. Yeah. That's hard work. It takes a lot of time and energy. It's slow growth sometimes, uh, but we're, we're doing that well. Uh, there's some guys doing that really well in the city. 
And that separates, you know, somebody coming in from uh, just doing that week-long trip. You know, they're in and out. Uh, when, when you're really addressing the needs of the community and you're there and you're, you're planting yourself there, you're putting some deep roots down, uh, that opportunity to uh, build relationships, which are opportunities to share the gospel, are multiplied greatly. Yeah. Well, and, and with your guys being boots on the ground and really doing that good cultural exegesis, uh, work in those neighborhoods, then when short-term groups come in, uh, then then there, you can be more strategic about what they do when they come in and not just do the same old, same old. Um, Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's that's awesome. Uh, 73 neighborhoods. We There are 26 distinct neighborhoods in Little Rock, North Little Rock. Mm-hmm. And so... Wow. Uh, uh, we've kind of looked along the lines and some of those same things, you know, how would, what, what would it look like for us to plant a church in each of these neighborhoods? Cause each of them has a distinct, you know, flair, uh, as well, you know, uh, you know, the Heights area is different mm-hmm. from Bering Cross, which is different than Quapaw Quarter, you know, which is different from, uh, Chanel, you know, I mean, so, uh, you know, some very high-end neighborhoods, some very low-end neighborhoods, everything in between. But each has a distinct flavor, and and I, you know, I'm a big context-driven you know guy, and so there's there's something you know the gospel is good news everywhere all the time. But how it is good news can take different shapes in different communities, and so so we're always wrestling with that as well. Well, one of the things I would just throw out there, I know you have a lot of people listening to this that may be pastors. I've gotten into the habit over the last four years of asking pastors to tell me the demographics of their community. When I go speak on behalf of NAM or I'm at a church, and again, nothing, I'm not saying anything ill towards any pastors. The majority of pastors I ask about demographics cannot tell me the population or demographics. And and what I'm saying with that is, uh, when we're thinking about what are church planners doing, most of them, it's not rocket science. Right. It's who's in yeah. your community. Yeah. What yeah. is your context saying? And how do you reach that with the gospel? Mm. Uh, and I think we just sometimes need to challenge ourselves with some simple things. If you're a pastor, planter or pastor, you need to know who lives in your community. you got to know that because you can't reach them if you don't. We had a conversation with a guy not too long ago. This has been several years ago now, uh, and he's not the pastor of this church anymore. It really was a... a kind of one of those aha moments for him was pastoring this church. They were looking to build a family life center, you know, was aging congregation wanted to reach some young families and started doing, you know, planning all this stuff. And one of our guys here at the ABSC went to meet with them about do some, you know, building planning and space analysis and stuff like that. And, and he asked them, he said, you know, why, why are you wanting to build this family life center? Well, we want to reach young families and have a place where they can hang out and do some things with young families. Well, they did some demographic research, and there were no young families in their neighborhood. And uh, wow. and their church really was a reflection of their neighborhood, hmm. but to hmm. to use the Family Life Center for what they were hoping to use it for would have been of no benefit because mm-hmm. there were no young families there, or very hmm. few. And, uh, and it was one of those moments, okay, we didn't know our community as well as we thought we did. Hmm. Um, hmm. How should we use that money and be better stewards of that money to reach people in our community that, you know, that are really there, not these mythical creatures that we thought were there. <laughs> and uh, that was one of those uh, aha moments where that cultural exegesis and demographic work is vitally important. And you can't Vitally important. Yeah. Uh, George, so we true. always ask this question, what's one thing you would tell church planters? Uh, primary Yeah. Thing? 
um, one thing, do a residency. There's so many churches doing a good residency right now. I mean, you can find a church that does a residency program for church planting. And I think that is so beneficial because I think it keeps you from being impulsive. And uh, for me in church planting when I was younger, uh, being impulsive almost killed me. Uh, I wish I had a, had a residency to go through mm. like they're available today. There's just some great resources yeah. today. So I would encourage young guys, if, if you know God's called you to plant a church, slow down. Find a church doing it well and and, and serve a residency with them. And, and learn all you can learn before you go out. Be, be patient in that. Man, that's good advice. Got a couple guys right now that jumped a little bit quicker than they should have. And mm. uh, they're feeling it now. And... Uh, uh, and, and it's so it's so hard to slow down. I mean, everybody gets excited and yeah. passionate about this, and and uh, you want to step out in faith, and you know. But oh, to, I've never had a church planner come back and say, "I wish we'd have moved quicker." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't happen. It's <laughs> uh, great. Well, George, man, thanks so much uh, for this and taking time to stop off in a in a trucker lounge. Uh, I don't know if we've ever man. Done I that. hope this has been helpful to you guys. Uh, really absolutely, good. man, really absolutely. Good. And uh, uh, you know, just man, just thank you for for taking time out of your trip to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to close out with a segment we do all the time called Rapid Fire. And these are just mm-hmm. boy, hot button burning questions that the world wants to know about uh, Georg, as uh, Chad <laughs> affectionately refers to you. Oh, and so, sorry, uh, George. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, I, I pray for you, buddy, and your choice. Oh, of don't worry about it. He'll have a shirt that says Boo Winkle. <laughs> <by the end laughs> <of it. laughs> Yes. Yes, he will. Oh, and, uh, yeah, that one's not going away anytime soon. So uh, anyway, all uh, right. What uh, top one or two books have had the most impact on you? Uh, uh, Spiritual Distance of a Godly Man by Ken Hughes. Okay. Hmm. All right. Biggest strength in ministry, biggest weakness? Uh, biggest strength in ministry, um, leadership development. Uh, biggest weakness in ministry. Uh, I can be so focused, it can become insensitive. <laughs> okay. Favorite that makes hobby? Sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Very task oriented. And uh, yeah, we're, we're not used to these quick of responses and rapid know it. fire. I know it. They're we're usually slower. Slow slower. walks. <laughs> You're doing great. Yeah. Uh, uh, favorite hobby or pastime? Fishing. Fishing. Mississippi State football? No, it costs too much money. Fishing. <laughs> <laughs> too much pain, right? Yeah, yeah. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> Except when Dak Prescott's your quarterback. Uh, that's right. That was a good, that was a good year. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie? <laughs> you got a favorite movie, George? Oh, a favorite movie. I didn't hear that one. I'm so sorry. Favorite sorry. movie. No, you're good. Oh my goodness, that's I don't have to think on that one. Favorite movie? Um, it's hard oh to narrow goodness. it down. Isn't it? Or most recent movie you've seen that you've loved? Oh my goodness, I'll get email over this one. Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so uh, give me your quick review. Was it good? You enjoyed it? 
Absolutely. I thought it was great. I think there were some great things you could draw from it. Again, it's got a pagan backstory, yeah. uh, but I thought there were some, a lot of redeeming principles in that movie. Compared yeah. to the Superman movies and Batman vs. Superman, do you think it was better than those? Oh, Batman and Superman are train wrecks. This yeah, is the, DC were... finally did a okay. good movie. Okay, okay. that's I what I've been hoping for. Yeah, I thought they were... Yes, the, yes. The other ones were They bad. redeemed themselves in this one, yes. Good. Well, right. that's what I've been hearing from folks, so that's good. That's, that's good. All right, favorite band or musician? Favorite band or musician? Uh, favorite, how about what I'm listening to on my <laughs> on my, uh, on my my tunes right now? Will that go? Because I was thinking about how odd this was what yesterday. Time do we have to I'm wait? listening to, to Led Zeppelin, oh. and I'm listening to... <laughs> I'm listening to Led Zeppelin, and I'm listening to, uh, oh, what is the Christmas uh, CD that I, oh, Hillsong's new CD, or the latest CD, so I've got a weird mix going on. Uh, Led Zeppelin's uh, Mothership, and uh, the latest one from Hillsong. <laughs> do we need to do that again, Nick? I had a beep on my cell phone, George. Can you do that again? We're, yeah. Dave will ask you the question, you can just repeat Yeah, I'll ask you the question sure. again, and we'll go through all that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you I can stumble and stammer like you, you know, like you just did as well. <laughs> All right. So, favorite band or musician? Favorite band or musician? I'm gonna do what I'm listening to right now. I'm listening to Led Zeppelin Mothership, which I know that's terrible, <laughs> and I'm listening to the latest Hill song, uh, <laughs> Worship CD. Hey, which, which is somebody what? will probably accuse me for being secular in that one too but anyway uh, i was gonna say which one is bringing you closer to jesus because sometimes i'm just yeah. saying yeah zeppelin has a way of doing uh, that <laughs> both equally <laughs> hey i am a huge led zeppelin fan uh robert plant's one of my favorite singer i'm a singer as well so robert plant is one of those benchmarks for all rock singers that that want to be great and and he the dude is 60 something years old and still sounds amazing yeah, incredible. He does. He's he no, does. He's no Boo Winkle. He's no he's Boo Winkle, good. but he's he strives good. to be a Boo Winkle. <laughs> he may be somebody's Boo Winkle. That's going to be my nickname for you from now on. <laughs> I look forward What's to up, that. Boo Winkle. I've earned so, it. <laughs> yes, you have. Oh man. Oh, that's good. George, thanks for taking your time. Get back on the road with your twelve kids and. Uh, your your church van or whatever it is that you're traveling in. I hear it's supposed to be really cool in Phoenix too, so uh, enjoy that. 108. Uh, hey, let me say this before you guys let me go. You guys do a great job at the Arkansas Baptist Convention. I want to encourage you guys. Uh, your convention is just doing such a tremendous job. Uh, you've had me there to do some different things with your planters, and I've always left just so impressed with your love for church planting, your love for multiplication, and what you're doing uh, on a convention level. So kudos to you guys, man. Uh, I think you guys are killing it. You're doing a great, great job. The check is in the mail for that one. Yeah. <laughs> George, uh, re- listen, we really appreciate that. And I would just say every time I see I mean you, it, man. I'm more and more impressed with your beard. I feel yeah. the same way about your beard that yeah. you do the Arkansas Baptist Tur- State Church planting. Team, so. Thanks so much. <laughs> Chad you doesn't even know where week. he is right now. So. <laughs> uh, See, this is what God happens. You guys. This is what happens when Jessica goes away and he's left to his own devices. He, he starts he goes downhill fast. It does. It's, it's just dangerous. a train wreck. So pray for him. Oh, so funny. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks, guys. God thanks, bless you. Thanks, George. Be safe. Great conversation with George. Uh, man, I, I like that guy. Uh, just so sharp. Um, you know, just really, really good mind for church planning. He's done it, done it well himself, and is leading guys to do it well, and 
and uh, you know several things. I, you know the whole New Orleans culture just fascinates me mm-hmm. uh, because it is a very quote unquote spiritual culture, uh, not a Christian culture, but a spiritual culture. And, and sometimes that can be a more challenging environment to plan in mm-hmm. than if it was a uh, just a non spiritual you know post everything kind of culture. And, uh, you know, the, the Catholic, you know, influence there, you know, in the city as a whole, uh, well, I believe there, you know, are some Catholic believers, you know, uh, that's not always the case, you know, the new age stuff, the large poverty rate, uh, you know, is always a challenge, you know, there and, uh, but, uh, but waiting in, and, you know, we talk about this a lot, you cannot spend enough time, exegeting your community, getting to know your community, being incarnational, embedded in your community. Uh, those guys have to do that there to have an impact. And I, I really think you have to do that everywhere to have an impact. But really, you know, planting churches in those 73 neighborhoods and mm-hmm. doing things that are reflective of the needs of those neighborhoods and the church reflecting those neighborhoods uh, rather than just adopting somebody else's method, context, and style, they're doing the work necessary to plant the kind of church that will thrive in those neighborhoods. And uh, and whether slow ro- slow grow or or fast track, you just can't shortcut that work. Yeah. And and I think the the health and viability and sustainability of those churches depend upon that work. And and that same thing's true in Arkansas. I mean, there's no different there. We've got some guys that try and shortcut it sometimes, uh, and it generally ends up biting them. Uh, but uh, you just can't shortcut that kind of work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, even I mean, he even said it with the, you know, mission teams have been good for New Orleans and maybe bad for New Orleans yeah. because. You just can't be incarnational, you yeah. know, in six days. You just can't. And I'm not saying mission trips aren't important. Short term's not good. They they have their place, for sure. But nothing beats moving into the neighborhood. Yeah, and, yeah. And so that is that is well. And, and you know, with the mission teams, and we've had this struggle here in Arkansas. There, there are a lot of assumptions made about what needs to happen in these church planting contexts. You know, an outside church will come in and they've got their their canned stuff. Uh, we're going to do VBS or kids clubs. We're going to do block parties. We're going to do, well, there may have been eight other teams that have come in and done that. Yeah. You know, or the, the church plan itself may have done that. That may not be exactly what they need. And, and, and we've talked about this with our one-day mission projects. We've talked about this in our some of our Impact Little Rock stuff that we've done. Nobody's going to know these neighborhoods better than the planters and the church that are living in them. Right. And so if you are a church, an existing church that wants to take a mission trip and do a one-week trip, ask the church planter what would help them the most and then do what they tell you. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't just come, well, we've got a VBS team. Well, that's great. We don't need a VBS team. Mm. Well, we, we can come do block parties. Well, it's great. We don't need block parties. Here's what we need. Mm. And, uh, and that's being strategic in that will really help those one week trips be beneficial, not only to the people that are doing them, uh, but the ones that are benefiting from them. And, uh, and it won't be a bad thing. Then. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, I thought that was a huge, huge deal that, uh, we've seen even here in Little Rock and in, in across Arkansas that that a, a mission team can hurt you if they're not listening and you know connecting with that plant in context. Yeah, 
I really appreciate what he said about uh, their network in Mississippi trying to provide brotherhood, sisterhood. You know, I, I think every planter really struggles to feel isolated, to feel yeah. alone. Um, and so having having a place for them to go, uh, having a group for them to connect with, having other planters to share best, best practices, having a context for wives to share struggles, the, you know, with each other is, is really huge. I, I think that's something that we're, we've done. It's been, when I was a planter in Arkansas, uh, was really good for me. And so you guys have done a great job of that. And then trying to just develop that even further is, is very crucial to yeah. the, to the life and health of the, of the plant planter and planters, wives and planters, families. So, yeah. And we don't always do that well. Uh, and, and we're always trying to get better at that. This retreat that we just finished up was, was a big step forward. I think in that right. and really struck a chord, with those planters and families. And uh, so for those of you that didn't get to come to that, we'll be doing another one next year, looks like. And so uh, I want to put that bug in year ahead of time. Uh, had a great time. Um, you talk to some of the ones that came, and they'll they'll let them tell you what they experienced. We were very encouraged that maybe we did something right. <laughs> you yeah, know, there. right. And uh, not always sure we do stuff right, but that was, uh, uh, I think that one struck a chord. Uh, it was pretty good. Um, you know, I loved his comment about the residency, doing a residency. Um, and, and even if you don't do a residency, just slowing down a little bit. Yeah. Just doing the proper, you know, runway. Yeah. Just taking, taking the steps that you need to take to get to where you need to be. Don't be timeline based, be criteria based. Right. Don't think it's got to happen by Easter. Not every church plant has to launch on Easter. If If you need to wait till the fall, wait till the fall. Like don't. Yeah, well, and typically Easter is not a good strategic <laughs> launch day. You can get a crowd there on Easter, but you've got a month and a half before summer hits. Yeah, and and it's just so hard to build up momentum before summer hits. Right, and and that's a blow. And right. uh, and so you know either early in the year or early in the fall, end of summer is a great time. That's just one of those. You want to catch the two hump camel kind of thing. You want to catch the hump on the way up, not on the way down. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that don't know that analogy, you're listening and saying, "What is he talking about with a two hump camel?" All I'm all I'm thinking about is uh, is Zootopia. What do you call a three humped camel? Have you have you seen Zootopia? <laughs> yes, I don't remember. The- Pregnant. Pregnant. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that scene with the sloth. You yeah, know, that's with right. The DMV. That's right. That's right. I forgot hey, about that. Priscilla, what, what? do you call? <laughs> you call a three hump camel? Yeah, so funny. <laughs> uh. Yeah. All right. So great stuff there from from George, and uh, I'm sure he'll be back in Arkansas before we know it. So take a chance to get to know him and and uh, what's going on with him in New Orleans. So. All right, we're going to kick it over now to story time with Uncle Neil. It's story time with Uncle Neil. Today's story comes from two unlikely partners in ministry in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Recently, Thurland McKissick and New Fellowship Baptist Church, a church plant in Pine Bluff, were the recipients of a blessing of kingdom proportions. Forest Park Baptist Church, an aging and predominantly white established church in the inner city of Pine Bluff, was facing a decision regarding their next move. 
New Fellowship, on the other hand, is a church plant that looks more like the inner city where Forest Park was located. And get this, New Fellowship was looking for a building that would accommodate their ministry efforts. After candid conversations between Forest Park leadership and the leadership of New Fellowship, they came to an agreement. Forest Park would not just give their building away to New Fellowship. They would instead, quote, pass the baton for God's kingdom purposes. New Fellowship and Forest Park had a joint service one afternoon where they passed a real baton to symbolize what real kingdom looks like. Praise the Lord for Forest Park for being a kingdom-minded congregation and thank God for New Fellowship for having vision for the inner city. That's what kingdom looks like in church planting. We want to hear your story. Email us at thegrind at absc.org. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. All right, so for today on the old bookshelf, uh, I think Chad and I both have a book. We're, we're finding that uh, we're having to do a lot of reading quickly. Yeah, we, we have more <laughs> podcasts than I have books ready yeah. to talk about. Uh, so Yeah, this is, I, but it is, I tell you, it is. Uh, kind of creating some accountability, you know, for us to keep reading. And, and I've uh, never read twenty four books in a year. Yeah, yeah. But by the end of this year, I may just have done. That's that. right. Yeah. <laughs> this this to be read pile is uh, now having to get shorter because we got to have stuff for the podcast. So uh, thank, thank the Lord, I travel. I can listen to them in the car. Yeah. I listen to most of them at like one and a half speeds just to get <laughs> yeah. through. Yeah. Ugh. Well, some readers are so slow talking. You have to. Yeah. Uh, or it'll. Yeah. It'll drive you nuts. Right. So, uh, all right. So, my book uh, for this session is called Stewards of the Story. Uh, the Task of Preaching by James Earl Massey. Uh, we just did kind of a, an online video preaching cohort uh, with my buddy Wyman Richardson and used this book as kind of the foundation for dialoguing about preaching. And and uh, and it really, it's not a how-to book on preaching, but more of a philosophical look at preaching. You know, what is preaching? What are we doing when we preach? You know, what are, you know, to... I loved his analogy of being a steward of the story. We have been entrusted with this message of the kingdom, and how we steward that message is is really important. Um, and you know, he he talks about uh, you know the steward as um, uh, recitalist, you know, and how we preach, how we communicate, uh, you know, as if. Uh, singing a beautiful song, you know, the, the visuals and imageries we use to communicate the message are great. Uh, the, you know, steward is rhetoric, um, you know, looking at the, the different, you know, communication styles in scripture and, and how God's word is communicated, the rhetorical styles, uh, steward as ritual, uh, you know, some of the things we do, uh, continually to build in, certain you know mindsets in the communicating of the word I mean, it was really kind of an interesting take on preaching that i'd not read before hmm. and, and james earl massey is I, i'm assuming he's still alive he i think he's in his 80s now uh african-american gentleman uh professor preaching professor 
we listened to one of his sermons, uh, just, I mean, brilliant, brilliant, deep thinker, communicator. And uh, it was a different take on preaching than I'd ever read. Hmm. And, and with a, kind of an African-American twist in there as well, from that perspective, it was, it was fascinating. I, I recommend it. it. Not a how-to book. It's not going to... Uh, necessarily teach you here's some practical things to do to become a better preacher but it will get you to ask questions about preaching that maybe you have not thought to ask before hmm. so i thought it was yeah was cool fun fact that they james earl jones's brother right no no he's not <laughs> <laughs> it's booinkle's brother <laughs> uh, uh, my book is the tipping point by malcolm gladwell i was introduced to malcolm gladwell through uh, this book really, really, really appreciated it. I it helps to, I think, read this book thinking about even Apest, uh, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, yep. Shepherd, Teacher, because he talks about really the three big people that you need in a, I guess, in a movement. Would you call it or a, or a, yeah, if any business or thing is going to take off, yeah, here's the yeah. things that so, tip it over, yeah, into, into a movement. Yeah, uh, yeah, so you need connectors. You need people who are relationally connected. You you need mavens, people who know stuff. Yeah. There's always that guy who just says like fun fact. This is James Earl Jones's brother, but <laughs> yeah. but actual yeah. facts and not just yeah. made up facts. But yeah, you need you need those type of people. Uh, there's always the, those type of folks around, and then salesmen, people who are actually gonna uh, herald you know the 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 thing. Hey, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? So you need relationally connected people, people that know stuff, and then you need uh, people who. Who are talking about it and and so really you know salesman's the evangelist and uh you know so in your church plant these are the same type of things uh that are that are kind of helpful just thinking about church planting i thought i think it's an interesting take if you think about church planting yeah. and think about the tipping point but super helpful you've also read that book yeah uh, a long time ago yeah what, and, and any I, thoughts on you know in reading that you know of course we do a lot of personality profile strength finders yeah. you know things to you know to create some good emotional intelligence in our planners the better you know yourself the better you're going to be able to to succeed in planting, I think. And, and, and I was the same way while I was reading that, I kept thinking Alan Hirsch, I kept thinking, uh, disc profile and I kept thinking all of these things and how God has wired us and shaped us. And each of us has a part to play how we need each other. Exactly. And cause not all of us, not, nobody can be, uh, a, a connector, a maven and a salesman all at the same time. Yes. You need those people on your team. That's uh, right. nobody can be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, right. all in one. You yeah. need those people on your team. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. So we need Nick Burt on our team. Everybody needs a Nick Burt. Everybody needs a Nick Burt. Everybody needs a Nick Burt, a Dave McClung, a Boo Winkle, and who else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. And, uh, so, I remember when we planted in Batesville, uh, Noreen Doggett. Noreen Doggett was a salesman. Yeah. And she... She, when we start, first started, she said, you got to come, just come once, yeah. just come once. You got to come. You just got to come. Yeah. I mean, she would drag people yeah. uh, to, to our services yeah. and a lot of people stayed, Yeah, you know, but, but she, she was a salesman, you know, and then, you, then you have people like Betty Gill Jones 
Who's a connector. Who is a connector. Who just knows Man. people, knows yeah. a lot of folks, uh, just is connected to everybody, highly relational. You would be one of those yeah. as a high eye disc profile. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just know a lot of people. You connect with a lot of people. You've been around for, for so long. So you just need those things. You need a team. You need people who are not like you. You need you know strengths and weaknesses and balancing so it's a great book it's just fascinating in general but yeah. it's a great book for even and gladwell is a great storyteller and a great writer if you haven't read anything about malcolm gladwell he's he's an interesting guy brilliant and uh i, I just i love his stuff and has he recently become a believer has he always been a believer I don't is know he, okay. i think he's been for a little while yeah now. He, yeah i don't i don't know what kind of background i don't know either he's he's in but uh yeah yeah i'm not sure all right, so there's Bookshelf for this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in and listening. Uh, great conversation with George Ross. Uh, you know, we got uh, some cool stuff coming up. Uh, Ryan and Laura Hairston, uh, our friends from uh, Forge Network and Fr- in Frisco, Texas, uh, doing some missional communities in Frisco. I-, I can't wait for you to hear their stories. Uh, just some amazing things happening down there in Frisco. Uh, love Ryan and Laura to death. Uh, Sam Roberts. Pastor at First Baptist Stuttgart uh, and our ABSC convention president currently uh, is going to come on and talk about uh, partnership. They have partnered with so many church plants uh, statewide, nationally, and internationally. Um, Just an incredible guy. Love Sam to death. Uh, And he makes really good balloon animals. I did not know that. Yeah, so I was at a block party that they were hosting down at Stuttgart uh, that the, I think the church playing team and missions team uh-huh. was doing, and he made he sat there and made balloon after balloon animal after balloon animal after balloon animal at that for kids at that. That's going to have party. to come up in our conversation. Yeah. Was yeah. he dressed as a clown? He was not. He was not dressed as a clown. Thankfully. So he's not a clown mate. Thankfully, uh, balloon making clown. No. He's just a balloon making preacher. Cloud. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, so uh, there you go. Look forward we to love you, Sam Roberts. Yeah. So, all right. So once again, check us out iTunes. Share the love with friends you know that have time to kill and no meaningful way to, to kill it other than yeah. to listen to our podcast. Yeah. And uh, we are now the Boo Winkle of podcasts. That's right. Hit us up uh, on the Twitters. That's uh, right. Uh, the Grind AR. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's chat. Let's uh, write those reviews. We got some books ready to send out. Some good old grind coffee mugs to send out. And so uh, thank you guys for those who have done that so far. And uh, we love you guys. Thanks for listening to us, putting up with us. Uh, hope you enjoy it as much as we do. And see you next time. Keep a boo winkling. Boo winkling. <laughs> no, keep oh, keep grinding. <laughs>